right. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. Praise the Lord. He's given us another day, another day to uh, win souls for Christ, and another day to look at our mothers out there and wish them a happy Mother's Day. So mothers, happy Mother's Day. We love you. Thank you for all that you do for us every day and the way you bless all of us. We're just uh, incredibly grateful for you. And uh, you are precious gifts from God directly to us. And we are thankful for that. So praise Jesus. Well, we're going to be continuing our study here in the book of Galatians. We're at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. But before we begin, I try to give little updates on how things are progressing of just the current days and times we're living. And as a way of noting, um, the pastors did get together and we've kind of been meeting and we're, we're rolling out a, a plan that's going to be, uh, uh, we're going to be meeting tomorrow and uh, the assistant pastors are going to sort of be debriefing me on what that looks like legally and then uh, we're going to be meeting with the elders to kind of review that and uh, again we're looking towards uh, June or, or hopefully sooner as, as we see these counties begin to open up. Um, we're going to be able to uh, have a time where we meet again. It might be slightly different in the beginning. I don't know that we'll be allowed to gather everybody here. I think there'll be uh, numbers and we'll have to have some system that people can go on and say, yep, I'm coming and we can make sure the seating is available for them. And, and we're working through all of that. But, you know, the thing that I would just want, you know, press on your hearts here this morning, please understand that as we're reading in the book of Galatians, right, and we're seeing the early church, right, AD 48 through somewhere around AD 58, I want you just to think about all the persecution that is awaiting this church. Not many years, and they're going to be going through the diaspora, right, the, the sending out. We think of First Peter as he wrote to try to encourage the churches. And they were talking about heavy persecution, right, and oppression, things we haven't even seen. Nothing close to what we've seen. Even the, the vast of all of our rights as Americans can be taken away, and it would still not come close to anything that we saw in the early church regarding persecution and oppression. Why do I say this? Because we can get caught up in a lot of different battles. And I want to encourage you to go to prayer on this, but, but one of the battles you can get caught up in as on is in the politics, in the day-to-day. -day. And, I, and I understand those things are real, right? But, but where do you want to draw the sword? You know, for me, when I'm looking at this, I viewed this time as a respite, not a time of anxiety, not a time of, of, of worry or fear, but actually a time of saying, wow, Lord, you've given us a respite. We're coming back. We've had more time with friends, family, the time with the Lord and the word of God, like never before without any, um, you know, distraction, you know, going to the job every day, traveling, all the activities, the sporting events, everything. You know, all that's been put on simmer, man. It's all been sort of moved from our purview that all it's Jesus and him crucified. And I thought, what a beautiful gift God has given the church right now, the individual Christian, even, even with layoffs, even with difficulties, even with financial hardship, even with sickness, the church is going to strengthen and multiply because it's exactly what it's always done throughout history. And as we see any type of persecution come. And so at this time, I want all the Christians out there, those that, that call this your home, I want us to be wise to the days we're living. We are in the last of the last days, but I, I want you to be wise. I want you to be taking this time to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
to be washing your mind with the word, to be building up. And I want you to be those vessels that are going out and giving the love of Christ, whether it's at the supermarket when people are, you know, I don't know about you, we were at the supermarket this week, we're standing in a line, my wife and I, you know, we got, I guess, a little too close to somebody. I was trying to minister to them. How are you doing? I could see they were a little nervous, you know, had the sleeves up like this, you know, hovered in, you know, kind of the whole, and my, my initial reaction is, Jesus loves you. The, you, you. I can give you something you'll never fear again. You'll never fear about your soul or what's going to happen. And I, and I see that's what I think Christ has done because there's so many people that are fearful and anxious all over. And what a great time it is to say, stop. I have truth for you that no matter what happens, whether it's a famine, a pestilence, no matter what befalls us, you can be with the living God and never have to worry or fear again. What do you think of that? Do you want that? Do you believe that? And you just watch the countenance. <sighs> well, that's the time we're living. This is the respite. I'm not being dragged out and put in prison yet. I'm not turning around and being martyred yet. This is a great time for me to be built up. This is a great time for me to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give it to every single person that'll listen, everyone that'll hear. And that's my prayer for you at home. When you're out, when you're traveling, pick up the phone and call your friends. Write notes. Maybe it's people you haven't talked to in a while. Reach out to them and say, you know what? How are you doing? And let them, let them tell you, man, I'm, I'm losing my mind staying at home. Really? Well, maybe it's because you're not thinking about the things you could be doing in Christ, like writing notes or contacting old friends you haven't talked to in a while. And checking in and seeing how they're doing. Checking in on the body and seeing how we're doing. Checking on your coworkers and giving them the message and the hope. Because despair only comes when you remove hope. Don't let anybody try to steal your joy and hope. Well, that's my sort of, if I had to have a devotion for the morning before the study, kind of like the appetizer before the main course, that's my appetizer for you this morning. To just lay it down hot and be encouraged because as we go back into this, we're going to see that even within the church in Galatia, there's men, women, people that are going to try to steal the joy of salvation. The joy of knowing that you are eternally sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to draw your attention to chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to pray and then we're going we're to move right in. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your encouragement and your word of hope, Lord. I thank you that you put it on my heart, Lord, this morning to encourage the flock, to help them to realize where exactly we are on this trajectory. That, God, this is the time you've given us to sort of put wind into the sails, to be encouraged, to be freshly filled so that, Lord, when the battle does come, we are ready to go. We are overcomers. This is not a sprint but a marathon, Lord. Prepare your church for the days ahead, for the true persecution when it comes, for the true oppression when it comes. God, don't let us be weary with just the warm-ups, with just the stretching, with the labor pains, but let us be taking and understanding the times, redeeming the time, Lord, to be prepared for the battle that lay ahead. Lord, I pray, anoint your word this morning. 
wash our minds, bring calmness to your church, bring just a sense of uh, discernment for where we are in those last of the last days. And prepare us here as we read Galatians, prepare us for the work ahead, just as you prepared this church, the church of Galatia, Lord, and the church here, Calvary Chapel, Lord, the way you've prepared us, and, and Lord, the, the hundreds that you have out there, and, and the thousands that you have watching, Lord, however many. Prepare your bride that we are ready, Lord, and that each day we're reaching lost souls with a love that's not comparable to anything the world can offer, that can only come through you, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus. And all God's people prayed, amen, amen, amen. All right, look at verse 10. Paul, as I mentioned already, introduced the idea of justification by faith. Remember Galatians, the concise uh, book of Romans, as it's been called. And so he says, you know, oh, you foolish Galatians. You remember that in verse 1, you ignorant. And now he's continuing to saying that, and the scripture, he went back in verse uh it's not eight there and says, don't you see the scriptures for new? It, it, everything has been laid out before you. So now we come into verse 10 and he's going to say, you know, he's already made that, that idea that, hey, look, you know, it's not by salvation. It's not by sanctification. None of it, none of it is going to turn around if it's all based in works. It needs to be based in faith in Christ alone. And he's going to say, so now tell me why you want to go back to works. Because I'm going to tell you what the law actually does bring. And the law brings a curse. The law never, never, ever brought salvation, right? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Did you just read that, right? Did you just read that here? Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26 there. That, that isn't a proclamation of, of blessing and good news. I mean, actually, if you go back and read Deuteronomy 27 and 26 in context, as we did as a church, but maybe you weren't with us at that time, or you, you don't recall, or maybe you've never read it, basically the context of Deuteronomy chapter 27 was how God said, look, if you go in and follow the commandments and statutes, right, the law of God, and you do that in this land, I'm going to bless you in the land. It's a temporal blessing. It's tied to earth, right? The law and the temporal blessing that you got by following the law was significantly tied to this earth. It was not an eternal blessing, right? It, it actually, as Paul is going to bring out, it actually turns around and says, no, the law brings a curse, a curse that way, right? For it is a curse, he says, under the curse as he describes it. Look at verse 11. But that no one is justified. You see, this is what it's all about. The law cannot justify you. Your works can never justify you. This is a legal term. A legal term. A court of law. As though we stand in the throne room of God. And God weighed down. He measured. Right? And as he came down with his verdict, he said no. He said only through my son Jesus Christ can you be justified. And that word justification... Literally, we mean, we've heard it before, just as if I've never, ever sinned or just as if I've never, ever done that particular sin before. But it's even more than that. It's not only not have we done it, but anything past, present, and future, things we will do. As though Christ is looking, um, 
our lives before him and every one of the sins that we will do that we haven't even accomplished or committed yet, he sees them all because he's omniscient. He knows. He's all-knowing, right? He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees all of this. It's all before us. We don't see it yet, but he sees it. And you know what he did? He turned around and his blood wiped it out. His blood wiped all of it out, past, present, and including the future sin that we have. That's what justified means. I mean, right now, if we were all together, I'd be saying, hallelujah, right? Amen, amen. There, I can't think of anything that's, that's greater news than that, that no matter what, if I repent and come to Christ, even for things I haven't done, I will be forgiven and have been forgiven. And that's why, you know, we sing that song, the righteousness, you know, the righteousness, my righteousness. I, I think that song should be changed, your righteousness, because it's Jesus Christ's righteousness that's been given to me. That's why I have a righteousness. I had no righteousness of my own, but it's only through Christ that I now have righteousness, right? That's my defense. My only hope is my what? Not my righteousness, your righteousness, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe the worship team will... Uh, pray about that, but I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they'll say, no, no, we like it the way it is. Keep it my righteousness. But do you understand my point? What I'm saying there is that it's the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. That's what he's saying is that the law cannot justify, okay? He says, in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. And talking about Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 or, or um, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith, right? So I want you to do me a favor. Turn in your Bible here to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple passages here that, that I think do a great job from a commentary perspective because Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. Romans wasn't written yet um, at the time Galatians was written, obviously. But being able to see Paul's additional expounding through the Holy Spirit on what he was saying here. Look, look what he says. Uh, begin in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I want you to think about this, right? Genesis chapter 15. I mean, even Genesis chapter 12, when this was first given. How many hundreds of years? 400 to be specific before the law was even given. 400 years before the law was actually given. It says that it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Did you see that? Underline that in your Bible. I want everybody to hear that loud and clear. That those that try to work out their salvation, or those that try to go back to a law, or those that hold something over themselves uh, as a metric of measurement, right? Uh, some type of something you have to hit, or measure up to, not does it draw you closer to Christ, but what did Paul just tell us here? It, 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 it's not a blessing on us, right? It, it's, it says, not to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, because grace is what? A free will offering, a gift. He says, no, you know what it's counted as? Right? What's he say here? It's counted as debt. 
You see, if you had a column, right, and you had debt on one side, right, and you had, you know, revenue or whatever you want to call grace on the other side, God's speaking in the spiritual terms, grace on one side, debt on the other, there's nothing you can do to try to increase that grace of God because it was a free gift. But by you working to try to do something like that, right, to earn it, what in actuality you're doing is you're piling on weights on the debt side because what you're doing is not placing your faith in Christ alone. You're turning around and looking at Jesus plus something. This is a very slippery slope. You know, you look at denominations. Again, we're not against denominations, but when they take an extreme position on one in one area and make that the core foundation, you know, some churches teach that if you do not speak in tongues, you may not be saved or you're not saved. That's not a biblical teaching, but they took an extreme out of, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, took an extreme out of that. And what did they do? They made that a, an underlining foundation teaching and they tried to make it as a measurement so that people can say, well, I know I'm saved because I speak in a tongue. Does that count as looking at what Paul just said? Does that count as grace? Is that on the pile of grace or does that go on the pile of debt? It's on debt because of the way we're looking at it. Certainly the gift of the Holy Spirit is not debt, that's grace. But when we look at it as though we're measuring or we have to do something to earn it. What about asceticism? You know, for hundreds and well, really almost a thousand years, you know, you go back to the early church history and you study the Crusades and you study different things that have come after that and how Christians for a long time turn around and they, they, they subscribe to asceticism, throwing themselves into a fire, you know, wanting to, um, you know, uh, pierce their own uh, hands that they could feel the pain that Christ felt to somehow be drawn close to him. What? I want you to think again, according to the Holy Spirit and what Paul said, what pile does that go in? Does that go in the pile of grace or the pile of debt? I think we all understand this, the pile of debt. That's what he's saying here. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. There it is. Circle that. Highlight that in your Bible. Write that, man. You know, tattoo that on the heart. Right on the heart, memorize that. But to him who does not work, wait a minute, I read in James that without, you know, faith without works is dead. Yes, that's talking about sanctification. We're talking about salvation. Let's not confuse the two, right? Two different things. Once I'm saved, how do I live? That's a different story. We're talking about right now salvation. Salvation does not come by works, Sanctification, on the other hand, yes, you might say fruit. I'd like to see fruit of the tree, as Jesus would say, right? Of a fig tree. You know, you're all leaves and no fruit, right? Speaking of Israel, when he had come up to the fig tree and there was no fruit like that. We, we, we get that, but this is talking about salvation. And look again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him. Who's him? Jesus, who justifies the ungodly. Did you realize that? That's what you and I were. We were the ungodly until we got saved. We were the ungodly. His faith is accounted. Whose faith? Mine, yours. Our faith is accounted. Therefore, we see a legal term again. We see a mathematical term, an accounting term, right? Justification. It's now being accounted for righteousness for everyone. For everyone. This isn't just a certain elect, a certain group of people. This is everyone. 
Do you see that? I can't think of anything greater that God could have given us in his gift of grace. Well, you could turn back to Galatians there. I mean, you can continue to, or studying, you know, you can look at Romans chapter 8. Uh, you, you know, there's so many passages that go through this. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, what is this talking about, right? That's Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, right? Almost prophetic in, in ways because we see that Christ was crucified on a tree that way, obviously on a cross there. But he became the curse for you and I, right? I, I can look at Romans 8. Let's turn there for a minute. We were just in Romans. I could have had you hold your finger there. But, but again, turn to Romans 8. Look what it says. Many people memorized Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those, what? In Christ Jesus. But they forget the latter part. We call that 1B, right? 1A is the first half of the passage. 1B is the latter half. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. Do you see that? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Over and over again, we see this picture. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Do you know why I bring that out? Today, there's things that we can worry about of the flesh, things that are temporal all around us, and we can wage our war. We can fight our governors, we can fight our mayors, we can fight, and I, look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with standing up for what is right in scripture. Please don't misunderstand me. But there are political narratives and things going on. Friends, if you're a Christian, where's your citizenship? It's heavenly. That's what our Bible says. It is in heaven. You are a sojourner. When you were born again, you became a sojourner. Now, you're an American as well. Maybe you're hearing this and you're an American. You're a citizen. Which one trumps, do you think? Do you think your citizenship in heaven or do you think your American citizenship, right? I want you just to think about that. How many things become a distraction? It's the same maneuvering of the enemy over and over again. I've, I've mentioned it in different passages and different books of the Bible. When I, when I describe a picture that Ken Ham had one time, I'll never forget from Answers in Genesis. He came out, I remember he came to Calvary, and he, he taught, and he shared, and he had this really cool cartoon looking, and he had a hot air balloon, and he had Christ center, obviously the centerpiece in all of this. And you had these Christians with, with guns that were shooting down all of these um, important, but yet not, not you know, Center, foundational, like Christ, like abortion, absolutely. Murder, wrong, scripturally. You know, homosexual marriage, you know, transgender. All of these things, wrong. But they were all surrounding this. And the Christians were so busy picking off 
all of these other things that they had taken their eyes because they got so concerned in the fight and the cares here that they had taken their eyes off of Christ. And what was happening was the enemy was pushing the, the hot air balloon further and further away from them. And so they, 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 they were just, they were in the battle, they were fighting it, but they, re, they didn't realize is they were being distracted while the enemy was flanking and moving Christ further away. You see, that's what's happening today. Once again, the world is in a fight. Look, communism or no communism, right? King or monarchy or no king or monarchy. Democracy or no democracy. I'm a child of God. The Bible tells me in 1 Peter 2, I'm to operate in all of those paradigms. Whether it's in a monarchy for those that live in the UK or, or other countries, for those that are in democracy, for the democracy we have left in the United States of America, or for any of them. I know some of you are going, Pastor Matt, you sound like you're not a patriot. You know I'm a patriot. I love this country. But I will not let this church become distracted by the auxiliary firing of everything else going on while Jesus Christ is pushed farther and farther away. And we forget that we are here to win souls for Christ. That we are here to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while people are dying, whether it's from a pandemic disease like corona or something else, every day people die. And every day people need Jesus because if they don't have Jesus, they're going to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Eternal separation from God. That's why the stakes are high. So if it seems like I'm, I'm a little emotional, a little heated up here this morning, forgive me. I don't mean it that way. I'm passionate because I know what God has placed us all here for. And that's to win souls for Christ. He does the work, but we are the vessels to give the gospel. It is not to get caught up in all of the distraction. What did Paul write? For the soldier that gets caught up in the affairs of this world is not fit or cannot manage and serve in both. I know some people out there right now, this is hitting hard because you're going, but wait a minute. We're Americans. Yes, we are. I don't have a problem with you protesting and exercising your, your freedoms. By all means, do that. But while you're there, be telling everybody about Jesus Christ. Watch your behavior. Watch what you're doing because you are the testimony. Your life is the testimony. People are reading you like a living epistle. And if you do something contrary to what the Bible teaches and you begin to tell other people that it's okay, that's called bait and switch. That's hypocrisy. These are heavy things here I'm talking about. But, but my calling is to prepare us for this. My calling is to prepare the church for the last days. My calling is to turn around, as all the pastors here and all the elders, is to prepare us for what we will go through. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And if I get so caught up in all the little political Fox News or CNN, look, it's all media. What does the Bible say? Because this is what's going to last eternal. I can either caught up in the affairs of the temporal or I can be focused on the eternal. I can sometimes do both if I'm careful and I'm measured. But all I'm asking you to do is be mindful. Be mindful of that. 
Be mindful that, that these things can become distractions and suck you in. And then next thing you know, when's the last time you walked to your neighbor or you called somebody or you were at the supermarket and you said, hey man, Jesus loves you. I want everybody to ask themselves that question. The last time you've been at the supermarket, we've all probably been out in a week or two. How many times did we Facebook? I don't have Facebook anymore. How many times did you Facebook or Instagram or do about well, this, that, blah, blah, blah? How many times did you say, we need Jesus? We need Jesus. Whether you think it's a hoax, whether you think this is look, I don't care. I really don't. What I do care about is every soul. Every soul that lives around us, every soul that's in our, 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 our ability to contact. Look at the technology we have today. I mean, Paul, can you imagine to have the technology? Paul, I mean, he would have been never gotten on that boat. He never would have had to be shipwrecked. He's probably sitting there that night and a day in the deep. If he knew he could play that back again, he's like, man, jaws all over again? No, thank you. He would have been like, I'd have just Skyped you or Zoomed you or whatever technology, Jitsi, you know, whatever technology you're using. He's like, forget the whole boat thing. Forget the whole Jaws, you know, pandemic, right? Forget all that, the episode. He's, no, we have got so much technology before us. Are we using it for Christ? Are we using it to win souls? Because the law does nothing but bring a curse. When we get and we infight with Christians and we, we get caught up in all these secondary issues, all it does is create division. Look back with me at Galatians here. You know, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ that we might receive the promises of the Spirit through faith. We read that already in Romans 4, right? I want you to think about that, that the blessings of Abraham that were originally given to who? Jews and Gentiles, but to the Jews, because the Jews were to do what? They would be one that would give to Gentiles. As a matter of fact, we'll read later in Genesis twenty-two eighteen that he said the seed that would come. Right? But, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let, let's, look, let's continue. Again, verse 14, I'll read it again. That the blessing of Abraham. Why is he bringing that up? Because that's what they were yielding to as their father under Judaism and, and, and the law. He's saying, hey, if you equate Abraham, who was a Gentile, as the father of the Jews or the Hebrews, and, and obviously the law, he didn't even have the law. The law didn't come 400 years later. It was really through Moses. It was given to a man that we might receive the promises of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Now, we see here there's really two purposes, right? We're going to see here there's two purposes. See if you, can, if you can find them. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men that though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds it. Okay, so one of the first purposes or promises that we see here and what is being spoken about, because it might be confusing. You might be reading this and go, Pastor, I'm not tracking. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. What's he saying? He's talking about testimony. He's saying, does anybody listen to the testimony of someone that's living until they die is when we really look at the testimony. Look at Jesus Christ. It wasn't until he was died and resurrected 
that we began, all of Christianity really began at that point because we all went, this is true and real. He did what he said he was going to do, right? It's, it's what all of Christianity hangs upon, right? It's, it's centrality or it's central, okay? It's, it's the central uh, foundation to it. But what about the testimonies of men? I want you to think about how many scientists, how many mathematicians, how many people uh, had proposed different theories or ideas. And it wasn't until they were dead that people began to actually look at them and start to subscribe to them, or they carried merit or weight. I want you to think about early church fathers or Christians that you've known that are, are amazing men of faith, that it wasn't until they were dead that their testimony really bared the full weight. If you want to see this, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 17, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the tester lives. Do you see that? It's exactly what I was saying. Therefore, not even the first covenant is dedicated without blood. Do you see that? Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all through the tester lives. In other words, when Jesus Christ died, after he died, right, that bore witness and that testimony, and now we, we understand that. Paul's drawing them back to that. And he also says that no one can add or take away from it, can they? No one can manipulate or change or take away from the account or testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, cannot be taken away, cannot be added to it. As a matter of fact, we read in Scripture, when you add or take away from Scripture, what is it? It's an anathema. It's a curse, right? Now to Abraham and his seed, please notice with me, seed, capital S, right? It's in the English. What's it talking? It's talking about Messiah. Were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural here. So this is the second purpose. The first purpose was to see that the testimony matters, and there's a purpose in our testimonies. And I just talked about that a little bit ago. But then the second purpose was the work of Jesus. He's comparing that to the work of a man. The work of Jesus completed everything, as we also read in Romans 4 and Romans 8. Right? And to the seeds, as many, but as of one. Right? He, he didn't say as to multiple but to the seed singular, right? It always pointed to a singular person. You want to see this? Hold your finger here. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Look at Genesis chapter 22, where, this was, where Paul's referencing it from in Scripture. Look at um, verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So wait a minute. Did it say all the Jewish nations of the earth shall be blessed? Did it say all the, what? If you're not Jewish, you were Gentile at that time. There was really only two, if you want to compartmentalize or categorize. He says all nations, all nations, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed. Who's that seed that Abraham, that God was revealing to Abraham at that time? It was Jesus. How many times have we read through the Old Testament and we, we didn't see Jesus pop right off the page? Every chapter. 
Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to the seeds, as of many, but to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Right? What a prophecy. First of all, it teaches us another thing. God's word is immutable. It's unchangeable, right? And it serves purpose. And it inside us, as living testimonies, serves purpose by what we do and how we speak and even how we think. Look at verse 17, please. Now, you may be saying, well, let me back up for a minute. You may be saying, but pastor, how do we know that that really is talking about Messiah? Because it said seed, but how do we know? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. What is Jesus Christ referred to? The son of Abraham. Did you ever notice that? The son of Abraham. Well, verse 17, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it, should be, that it should make the promises of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, there's a lot going on here, right? You, you might ask, well, when did... <laughs> When did this 430 years begin? We just read that. And, that. and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God, before, well, you know, really, by God in who? In Jesus Christ. In other words, the law cannot annul the new covenant that Christ established for all believers that would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Right? He said, this is my body, Right? This is my blood. This is the new covenant. He says the law doesn't come in and it doesn't annul or cease or make no longer to exist that new covenant. Right? But it was in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. He says no. For if the inheritance is of the law, then it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham of promise. What's he saying here? He's saying if it was given by the Lord like that, it's, it's an inheritance. He was given by grace. And if it was given by grace and promise like that, then how can it be also under the law, which the law brings a curse? It can't be both. But, but take a step back. Look, when, when did this 430 years begin? If you're looking at Scripture, if we're counting, when did this go back? I mean, some have suggested it began with, when, you know, with Abraham, in which case um, the 430 years would include the Israelites' time of about 200 years in Canaan and 200 years in Egypt. If you're kind of looking at it from a narrative, trying to chronologically land this, the Septuagint will support that view. But it, but it conflicts with a clear statement that we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, that the Egyptian sojourn was what? 430 years, as we just read here. So 400 years is not the same as 430. Another suggestion is that the period began with the confirming of the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob. Remember, that was in Genesis chapter 35, verses 9 through 12. But a third, and, and I happen to subscribe to this belief, you be Bereans, I think this is the best view, is that the period began with the final confirmation of the covenant given to Jacob. The 430 years began after that final confirma confirmation in Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. That is when the 430 years began that this is alluding to and speaking of right here. 
right? This 430 years went to the end of one era, which would have been the age of promise, to the beginning of another, which would have been the age of the law, because then they were given the Mosaic covenant, the law, right? You see what it's talking about? I think that fits best with what we also read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, which also describes the 430 years. And just if by way of reading your scripture, if you're going, but wait a minute, I, I could think of Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, or, or what about Acts chapter 7, verse 6, which also refer to the, this time as 400 years again, right? It's not that your scripture is contradicting itself. It's, it's numbers that were just rounded up. If you read it in context, it was just a rounding of figures. It wasn't a specific, literal 430 years like we're getting here. That was re referencing back, saying, oh, these 400 some odd, you, you know, speaking of an error or a time. So what, what are we reading here in chapter 3? What has been the context? Everything that we've been re reading in chapter 3 was justification by faith, right? That's the context that we've been reading. The point that Paul is making here, he uses this word inheritance, and you can underline it. The idea is justification by faith was given by God as an unconditional gift to those who believe. That's the whole point, which is completely contrary to the claim that the Judaizers, those that were trying to convince the Christian to be observant and obedient to the law, which was not a requirement to gain what? An inheritance. The main question every, every believer needs to settle in their hearts is, is salvation a gift of grace or not? That is ultimately what Paul is narrowing it down like a bird's beak to a finite point where nobody can read Galatians 3. You get to this play and you must make a decision. Paul is drawing it down to the point of inheritance and he's saying one must make a decision on this. And so, is it a gift or not? And that's what it all comes down for, also the Jew and the Gentile. Remember, we read in Genesis, for all nations, the seed. Right? That's what we see there. The scriptures have always taught, as we've been reading, and as it, chapter 3 all the way through, that it was always righteousness by faith. This is what saved every single Old Testament saint, right? The promises of God to Abraham were given 430 years before any law. Therefore, as a new covenant believer through Jesus Christ, we must settle this once and for all in our hearts. We must settle this. There is no works-based salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 very clearly teach, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any one should boast. And because of that, if you look to verse 10, for we, that's, by the way, verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2, because of that, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do what? We should walk in them. That means God has a plan and a purpose for you right now. That you should walk in them right now. But pastor, there's a pandemic going on. Yes, I appreciate all of that. But are you walking? Are you walking in the spirit? Are you, are you turning around and letting everybody else know this through this workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
that there is a way to not spend eternity separated from God. And that, honestly, that is the most important decision anyone will make in their lives. This choice has eternal consequences. And until people start to realize that they must make a decision, because no decision is still a decision, until people realize that, you know, they're going to think Christians are the problem. We're going to get blamed for all this. You do realize that, right? The Jews are going to get blamed for the pandemic. And then, you know, right after you see the Jew blamed for the pandemic, then the Christian fall. You know, it, it, you know there's a saying, it goes from Saturday to Sunday. It always goes from Saturday to Sunday. What comes first? Saturday. The Jews will be blamed. And then what happens? What, what's the next day of the week? Sunday. And it finds its way to the Christian. Oh, we'll be blamed for all of this somehow. You know, Christians are all anti-vaxxers. Christians are the problem. See, they're the ones that don't want, you know, we're going to be blamed. Somebody's got to be blamed. Somebody's going to go to jail, right? Somebody's going to jail. That's why I said be prepared. Mentally be prepared. Okay. Look at verse 19 and 20. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions. I love in Pauline fashion, he begins to address a question that hasn't been asked, but they were thinking in the Holy Spirit had Paul write this. So then why have the law? If the law never brought righteousness, if the law could not save, first of all, is the law bad? No, it was a measuring rod. It was, it was a way to understand God's character, our sin, our need for a Savior. But why? It says because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Remember the promise? 430 years before. That was the age of promise. 430 years after, that's why I kind of dated that with you, maybe now it's clicking, became the age of what? The law. So under the time of Abraham, there was no law. It was called the age of promise because it was what? Their belief in faith was accounted to Abraham for what? Righteousness. Then thereafter, they were given a law. And then the law was what they tried to keep, but that didn't save them. If you matter of fact, all the sacrifices on the, in the Levitical system did nothing more than cover the sin, right? But it never removed it. It didn't give them a new nature. Only their faith in God is what brought them salvation, even at the time before the law and during the law. But if you look at the two ages, today we're in what age? Today we know it as the church age. And the church age ceases at the end of chapter 3 of Revelation. And then you move into a new age in Revelation chapter 4, which we're not here after these things, John writes. We're raptured out after these things. After what things? After the church age. This is a beautiful study because it really helps people understand that struggle with a pre-tribulation rapture. It helps them understand in the Bible, there's always been epochs or ages. An age of antediluvian, before the flood. The age of promise. After the age of promise, what? The law. The age of the law. After the age of the law, what? The church age. Here we are today, right? With Jesus Christ and the seed, right? After the church age, then we go to a time, the great tribulation. After the great tribulation, what age? The millennial reign. After the millennial reign, right? Then the new heavens and new earth. It's, it's chronologically broken up in our Bibles that way. 
So we can see this. So he's saying, what purpose then did the law serve? That it was added because of the transgression. So the seed shall come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Okay, so this is kind of heavy here. Um, now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. What is being said here? This is remarkable what he writes here. It's a, it's a little bit interesting as we read it in the English, but let me try to help explain and kind of recap where we've been, and it'll make, I think, a lot of sense clear as, as, as day. Paul knows that the legalists and the Judaizers are going to try to question then why have a law? So he, he, he writes verses 19 and 20. What's the point then? And, and again, a brief recap will help you understand what he's saying here about the transgressions. He's saying Paul was certain that the law could not what? Could not give the Holy Spirit. Remember, we read that verses 1 through 5. Paul was certain that the law could not do what? Bring justification. You remember that? We read that verses 6 through 9. Paul was certain that the law could not bring immutable or unchanging promises. We just read that this morning, and that's verses 15 through 8. Paul was certain that the law does bring a curse, right? That was back in verses 10 through 12. We read that this morning. Therefore, what purpose of the law, or what is the purpose of the law? And that's a good question. Paul tells us, again, it has to do with our transgressions. A way to provide a metric for sin. Can, can I simplify it for everybody this morning? A way to teach restraint against God's definition of sin. Through wrong thinking and acts of iniquity. We, we can see the difference between those wrong acts and thoughts of iniquity. We can measure that against a law, okay? Before Christ, before the seed had come. If you transgress God's law... Then there were consequences, right? His wrath. You want to see that? Look at 1 Timothy. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse um, 8. Look at verse 8. We'll read verses 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. We just read that also in Galatians. It was for the transgressor. But for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust." There's consequences, right? We see that. There's a, a vast difference in walking in the Spirit as compared to the flesh, as Galatians 5.16 teaches us. Okay, so that's, that's first. We see the first thing there. It was given because of transgression. What's the second thing? It was temporary, and it served until Messiah, the seed, as it's written there, would come, as we read in verse 16. After that, the law was no longer needed. Third, I want you to not miss this. The law was a bilateral contract. What's that mean? Between two parties in agreement, a Susan Vassar contract. If you keep God's law, then God will bless you. Remember that? We read that. That's in Genesis. It was a temporal blessing for this earth. But the gift of salvation, comparing and contrasting, remember the Judaizers, the, the legalists, as they're arguing with Paul, the contrasting is salvation. That's what we're all talking about right now. Salvation is not bilateral. 
Salvation is unilateral, right? It's a royal grant covenant in that you receive salvation by your belief through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no works, deeds, acts, or programs that a believer or unbeliever, if you will, at that point, anyone, can I just say anyone, is required to do for salvation. It's because God does the justifying, God does the sanctifying, and God does the glorifying. That is why the gift of salvation, sorry, the gift of salvation is superior to the law in every single way. That's what we're reading here. Now, look at verse 19. Verse 19 describes even the giving of the law was given through a mediator. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The law was given through a mediator, a man. Wait a minute, Pastor, I, I, read, I read the book of Exodus. What about Mount Sinai? Moses. What do you mean it was given through a man? Wait for it. Ready? God was on the mountain, right? Moses went to the top of the mountain. He was on holy ground. He was told to take off his shoes. 40 days, 40 nights, he was given a pattern of the tabernacle. He was given the, the law, the Ten Commandments, in addition to the pattern of the tabernacle and everything else. Remember that? As he received that, God gave it to who? Moses. Moses is a man. Moses took it, came down the mountain, and told the people of Israel about it. That's how the law was given. But the church age, that was done different, wasn't it? Because remember, I already said, the church, it's superior to the law in every way. Where was the mediator? Who's the one and only mediator we have? but the man, Christ Jesus. You see, it was given differently. For Moses, it was given to the people, but the gift of salvation is given directly from God to a man through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Hence, hence Paul's point in verse 20 that God is one. What he's saying there, if you're reading very clearly, is he's saying that the law was given through a man to the people, but Jesus himself came to earth physically was with the disciples and gave the new covenant directly from God, Jesus being the Son of God, God himself, to the people, right? To the disciples and all the people. Not to a man as an ambassador over it or a mediator. That's why we don't have to go to a priest and make confession. That's why we don't have to go to a, a, a priest and, and, and try to, you know, ask for repentance for our sins or something like that or, or try to, you know, pay a... I don't know, fees so that somehow our loved ones go to heaven and don't go to this imaginary place called purgatory, right? That, that's a, to me, that seems like a, a get-rich-quick scheme, you know, a pyramid scheme. I don't know how else to call it. I mean, it's, it's certainly not biblical. I don't mean to offend anybody, but let's call it what it is. It's a way to take and, and, and flee sheep, charge money for something that God had given as a free love gift offering of grace which is himself through salvation. And he is the giver of that covenant. He didn't give it to an individual. He gave it to humanity for all those that would receive it. Happened to be at a last supper, a communion, an agape feast, as we would call it, a love feast. So the purpose of the law was not to give life, and it's unfair to expect salvation from the law. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been given by the law. But the law was temporal, 
right? It's unfair to expect the law to do something it could not do, right? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I commanded you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess what? The land, a temporal blessing. It was a blessing on the promise. You will go into this promised land, which the Lord swore to your fathers. Right? That's what the law was about. It was not this eternal blessing that Jesus Christ gave through a new covenant which was always accounted by God through faith, even for the Old Testament saints. You know, if you look at it, but the, it says here, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all those who believe. You, you want to see that? Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 teaches, look in... Um, Look in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? Do you see that? Look at Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 32. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Do you see that? All, all constantly being repeated here. All. That's important. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So what is he talking about there? But before faith came, faith. I thought faith always existed, even in the age of promise. What's he talking about? Before Jesus. Before Jesus came. Faith in Jesus, right? We were kept under guard by the law. In other words, it guarded our heart. Again, we already talked about it because of transgression, because of sin. It kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. That word there means, um, in a strict sense, for our discipline. It was for our discipline to bring us to Christ because we would realize we cannot keep the law on our own, that we would always fall short, and we needed a Savior. And that was God's plan all along. He was showing us the character of our true hearts. Romans 3, you know, chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. So if we don't realize that we're sinners, we might think we're good people. Look, there is nobody that's a good person. According to Scripture, every one of us has done, every one of us has lied. Have you lied? You've lied. Have you, have you thought something in your mind that was mean towards another person? You've committed anger or murder by the scripture's definition. That when you think it, you've actually, what's the difference in doing it? You've just committed it in your mind mentally. You just, you know, slayed somebody in your imagination by having anger or hating them. And Christ accounts it to sin regardless. So the point is, is every single one of us, no matter how good you think you may be, we all have sinned. You told a white lie. Well, I didn't want to hurt that person's feeling. It doesn't matter. The standard is not my white lie versus your white lie. The standard is God's perfection and design compared to humanity's rebellion and carnality. They're vastly different. And we need a way. And Jesus Christ is that way through salvation. Because then we're, giving, we're given his righteousness because we're blood-bought belong to him. Therefore, we can now enter into the presence of God as holy and right. That's the point. 
right relationship. And God knew it from the beginning. After original, God, God allowed it that we would be drawn into salvation so that once and for all, we could be kept in his bosom for all of eternity and never separated from the Father again. Do you see how grand of a plan it was? How grand it's working out? And that's why God said, even the evil things work for the good. Because God can use anything as a plan and purpose to draw you back into right relationship. You might be looking, man, I, I'm a drunk, I'm a druggie, I, you know, I'm sleeping around, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm out of wedlock, you know, all these things. Look, and you're thinking, man, what can I do? Guess what? We just learned it's nothing you need to do. Lay it down at the throne, repent, right at the feet of Christ, and walk into a beautiful, beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ where you are cleansed, you are made whole, you are made righteous, you have been given a new nature, everything has been forgiven, and you are set right before him. And you can go to your father and you can ask him for anything. Lord, help me. Give me strength. Help me with my sadness, my, my anxiety, my, my sorrow, Lord. Help me be a better man to be more compassionate and concerned for all those around me. Help me be, Lord, a lady, a better woman to, to think about all the things, Lord God, that you would show a daughter of the living God, a daughter of Jesus. I mean, he says, this is, this is it. He says, therefore, the law was given as this strict discipline to, to draw us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You don't need it. You've already realized why you needed it, and that was to draw you to Christ. Once you have Christ, you don't go back to the tutor. You don't go back to the law. You don't need the law. The law has already condemned you. Jesus Christ set you free. You don't go back and go, man, I'm condemned again. I'm condemned again. You know, there are people that do that. They, they make altar calls like weekly, right? They keep coming up because they don't understand this passage. They don't understand this passage in Scripture. You know, once saved, truly conversion experience. Once saved, always saved. It does, it's, not, it's irrevocable. The calling of God in Scripture is irrevocable. You can't lose your salvation. It's not something that you can, if, if you can't work to get it, you can't work to undo it. It's not something like wax on, wax off, right? Mr. Miyagi's got nothing on this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, th this is truth. This is truth. For some of you that are young enough, you mean, there was, was a Karate Kid reference for some of you that are, I mean, what's he talking about Miyagi? I, I lost him. My point is you can't add, you can't take away. God's promises are immutable. They're irrevocable. That's what we need to hold on to. That's what we need to understand here. That's what Paul is drawing these men because he knows there's so many things that are going to try to attack them and so many things that are going to try to convince them they're worthless, they're not good enough, you know, they're, uh, yeah, they're not really saved. And therefore, guess what? If they spend all their life meandering back and forth between salvation, I'm not saying, I'm saying, I'm not saying, I need the law, I'm not, guess what they're doing? They're distracted from doing the works of God. They're distracted from the actual battle before them. Man, doesn't that sound familiar from what my, my opening was this morning? As I kind of had a little mini devotional there to say, hey, are we getting caught up in all these things that are happening around us and forgetting our real purpose here? 
Boy, that should sound really familiar. There's nothing new under the sun, friends. Maybe you're seeing this for the first time this morning going, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. I missed this. I cannot believe that the enemy would use a pandemic or all of this would be used in a way, and here I am fighting for our freedoms and liberties in America, thinking that I'm in the fight, and I don't even realize I'm in the wrong battle. I'm on the wrong battlefield. I'm on the wrong battlefield. I I need to be on the battlefield winning souls to Christ. And whether that's in a monarchy, whether that's under communism, And whether that's under democracy, I don't care. I do care. I personally like democracy. I love our country. I love our forefathers and what they stood for. I love our Constitution. But what I mean is I can be effective in any of them. You can put me in any one of those environments, and God, through the Holy Spirit, if I'm a willing vessel, is going to use you and me to reach souls for Christ as he did in the early church when you had emperor worship under Nero or Domitian, and men and women and children were dying, and yet every time a soul died and was martyred, a hundred more came to Christ. Because you can't stop the multiplication of the church. As we read, it's not till death that the testimony, Hebrews, we read it, really takes on the life. And that's what's happening. That's why I'm optimistic and hopeful that there's going to be a great revival, whether that's underground revival or whether that's going to be an out-in-the-open revival. Either way, it's like our brother from Iran said when we were at the pastor's conference. He says, we paid for revival. And then I showed a video of all the bombs and all the things that happened, and their houses were destroyed, everything. And they said, we got it. We went from, what, 10, maybe 15 Christians left. There used to be over a million there. He says, now, he says, underground, we got millions that are coming out to faith. He says, Muslims are getting converted. Even over in the Holy Land, in Israel, Jews are coming to Christ. How many people do you think, just through this pandemic or crisis, while the, you know, while the, the evil, oh, never, never let a crisis go to waste, right? Well, guess what? God doesn't either. God doesn't either. How many people have come to salvation? Millions, I'm willing to, to, to guess is the way God moves. Millions that we don't even know. Tens of thousands, probably, you know, in, in our area, hundreds if not thousands. I've heard stories, just little stories in the church from different people I've talked to about what God's done in their lives and how he's moved on a brother, a sister, a relative, or or somebody in their neighborhood or a block because they can't get out, but all of a sudden their neighbors are out where their neighbors aren't normally out because they can't go anywhere. So they're walking around the the block like uh, hamsters on a wheel, you know? So they're out there, hey, and they get to know them for the first time. Oh, you live there. Hey, yeah. And then they naturally, hey. You know, how are you doing? And next thing you know, Jesus Christ gets brought up. And, you know, I never really thought about that. And then an invitation gets made and then people get saved. And it's exactly, I'm excited. It's exactly what we see happening in scripture. It's happening before our eyes. We're living it out. We're seeing it. No matter how they're trying to, to you know, censor what we say. Because it's coming, censorship. They can't stop the moving of the Holy Spirit. They can't stop it. You can shut your Facebook, YouTube, and all that stuff down and censor everything. Guess what? God will boom through all that. He'll create a new platform. He'll create a radio ministry. They try to censor us on the radio. Okay, they'll put it, God, there's nothing my God can't do. 
I want you to have that same conviction. You're going to need it. You're going to need it for what lies ahead. Well, Paul is giving them that same understanding in a much simpler way. He's saying, look, what are you doing? Don't go back to the tutor. And we're going to close here with these next three or four verses. Three, I guess, changes for those in Christ, if I can say it that way. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Just stop there for a minute. You are sons. You are daughters. Just, is there anything better? I'm a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. I mean, really, what can get better? What can you do to my day? I mean... An heir of the king, the true king, the, the, the one that holds this whole world, everything in his hand. I belong to him. And I'm an heir with him. And you are too. Makes you think different. Like, who cares? You want to destroy this earth? Guess what? My God can create a better one where all sin and iniquity has been purged, and he will. Revelation chapter 21 and onward. He will. You can't stop my God. No one can. For you all are sons of God through faith. We, Galatians is teaching us we are no longer slaves. We are free in Christ. So you know what? You take and put a communist regime in place. Guess what? Am I any more enslaved than I was under democracy? No, I am not. Because I'm bought by Jesus Christ and I've got his shed blood upon me. Wash me white as snow. I will always be free. You could put me in prison and I'm a free man. That's what we're learning here. The Galatians were no longer slaves. Don't run back to slavery. Don't get caught back up in a law. Don't get caught back up in the politics of your day. Don't do that. Don't fight the, the Judaizers or the legalists. No, win souls for Christ. For as many as you were baptized in Christ, you have put on Christ, right? Look at John chapter 10, verse 16. John chapter 10, verse 16. What a beautiful passage. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must also bring. They will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Amen, amen, amen. It's exactly what we read in Genesis where it said that all nations. Now Jesus Christ himself said, hey, the Jews were at one point one flock or pasture. But there's another flock or fold, and that's the Gentiles. And we're all going to be brought in one together. Do you see that? We're going to be brought in one together. And there's going to be one shepherd. And that's Jesus Christ. One true shepherd. Right? I, I, I'm a pastor. I'm an under rower. I serve the king. He's the chief priest. He's the pastor of this church. Your, men in your homes, your pastors in your homes, right? Where's your covering? We read that in Corinthians, right? Jesus is your covering. Women, where's your covering? Right? The man the Lord's put in your life. Only two places, in the church and in the home. If you don't have a husband in the home, how's the Lord turning around and speaking directly into your heart because you're wed to him? He's your covering. Do you see that? 
Look what else it says. You, you put on Christ. And that's, again, speaking to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to turn back there. We just finished that book not too long ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members are of that one body. For being many are one body, so also in Christ. That speaks to unity. We are one. Oh, pastor, we're all different. Yes, God has allowed all the differences to come together, and he has gifted those differences. But he's also created a harmony and a unity to it. It's quite beautiful, all working together for God's glory. There is neither Jew, verse 28 in um, Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. How about that? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Now, this isn't a, a recipe to go out and be biologically challenged. This is not what he's talking about. He's speaking spiritually, right, within the family of God. Keep it in context. He says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What, what Jesus does is he joins all believers together. The law cannot do that. The law was the religious identity for Israel for so many years before the church age. And it still is for much of Judaism today. But what God wants to do is reconcile all humanity to himself as one family, as children of God. No longer compartments. But that was always his design as he spoke to Abraham and said the same thing. Many nations, not a single nation. It's always been God's plan to unify and bring into the fold of one. There's neither male nor female. There's only one in Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then, and here it is, you are Abraham's seed. Do you see that? Do you see how he made that jump? He says, now, this is what it's always been proclaiming. And heirs according to the promise. Right? Now, again, this is not giving us a license to say the church has replaced Israel. That's not replacement theology, which is this teaching. What this is helping us understand is that in the body, there is one, that we are all being brought together, and that the Jews that are not completed, as we call them, born-again believers, Jeremiah 31, 31 speaks prophetically, prophetically of one day when they will cry out to Messiah, and they will receive that new covenant. And they will be given new hearts. It's a beautiful passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31. And you read down through it. That's the promise that you and I have already partaken of. As born again believers. And our Jewish friends are right on the cusp. So many are getting saved right now. Well, let's... Stop there. We'll come back and talk about heirs because he's going to mention heir. He mentioned heir here in verse 29. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he's going to mention heir. You can read ahead. That speaks to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. But we'll talk about it if the Lord uh, should lead next week, if he doesn't rapture us and bring us home. But allow me to just leave you with one more thing here this morning. As I'm sure many of you are wondering, Pastor, are we there? Are we at this point of the great tribulation? I mean, we're hearing about all this stuff with Gates and, you know, Bill Gates and, 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 and the virus and the, 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 the implanting of a chip and all this stuff, right? 
wherever you side on that, I, again, I'm, I'm indifferent. Whatever media outlet you choose to get your, your um, propaganda is up to you. But, but what I mean by that, okay, that, that truth that you want, the only one source of truth I know of is in the Word of God. Truth is at a very high premium today. People are seeking for real truth. Please don't draw them to Fox News and draw them to CNN. Draw them to Jesus in the Scripture and Bible. But let me leave you with this, because I'm getting questions like this, and it's, it's, it's a good question. We're in the last days. How do we know where we're at? Do you remember in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus specifically wrote to the Jews? And the Jews are in context there. He described several things that need to occur. He talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about famine. He talked about pestilence. We're seeing pestilence today, disease. He talked about many things, earthquakes and rumblings. And, and boy, we've seen a lot of storms. But he didn't say that when any one of these things comes, then we're there. What did he say? He said, but I say unto you, and he's talking about the great tribulation, by the way. We're not talking about rapture. He says, the end is not what? Do you remember? The end is not yet. The end is not yet. Some of you might, well, what about this microchip? That, that, could that be providing? Absolutely. You know it is. You know it's providing a way. Is it the mark of the beast? Is there a beast alive right now that we see that's getting ready to sit at the helm of uh, the United States of America or the world in some capacity? Uh, not yet, right? To take the mark of the beast means he needs to be in position first, and then we take his mark. So could this microchip be all part of the um, slow, you know, you take the frog, put him in water, turn the heat on, and you start to watch the boil. And then you tie that to immunizations and health care, and you start to tie all these things together. And people will give up their, all of their freedoms for their health. It's quite interesting, isn't it? If you put your faith in your health and not in Jesus, that will be a natural reaction. But those in Christ don't need to put their faith in their health. Because when our health fails, absent with the body, present with the Lord. I can't wait to get my glorified body. I, I, no more glasses, no more, you know, all the conditions that are out there, right? Amazing. And God's timing, of course. But I want to prepare you that you, you're not at the end of the cliff. And you're not looking down and you're like, hey, we're all going down. I'm going to jump. No, no, we're not at the cliff, Okay. Allow me to just back you up a little bit, you know, and, and, and there's talks of, you know, well, what about the one world nation? It's happening. Yes. And you know, it's going to, what about a one world currency? Yes. And you know what there's going to be. But if, if it isn't this time, if it isn't this crisis, it'll be the next one. It'll be the next one after they're going to, yes. But I want you to remember the end is still not yet. Have we had mass famine yet? No, no, we haven't. Are there people that are, you know, hurting right now that need food? And yeah, yes. But have we seen famine? Like when I'm talking famine, I think a biblical purport, my definition for things are out of the Bible. Have I seen famine in the Bible where people have no food for seven years? No, I haven't seen that. Is it, could it come? Yes. But even if it does come, does that mean we're at the end? No, because all of these things are what? They're labor pains. He's speaking to the Jews, which means, guess what? The church is not here. We're raptured out before that. So if we're not going to go through the great tribulation, 
right? And you know the gospel is going to go forward in the Great Tribulation. I had a question about that as well. Well, wait a minute. Will people get saved? Yes, because they become martyrs. If be, how do you have martyrs if people weren't getting saved and becoming martyrs? Well, is the gospel going to be taught? Yes, Scripture, it says, the multitudes, the gospel will be going, even before the 144,000, because there will always be truth. Does the Holy Spirit give understanding? Absolutely. He's our teacher. But let me ask you a question. Before you were saved, what drew you to Christianity? We just read it. If you didn't have the law under Judaism, what drew you? The Spirit of God drew every single one of us to know that we needed a Savior and that we needed a right relationship with God. He drew you guys. Some, of, some people turn around and sear the Holy Spirit and push him away. But many receive the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, yes. For me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And they repent and they establish right relationship. So I bring all this because I want, if I could, if there was like a, a dial, I want to kind of turn the dial down on the fear and on the emotion of everything going on. I want to, ooh, why do I want to do that? Because this is your respite. This is your time to be strengthened. This is your time to let the word of God wash your mind. This is the time for you to double down with the Lord. Make sure all of your priorities are correct. Make sure your life, your finances, and all of that align up with scripture. And that you are in perfect relationship with him. Right? I'm talking to pastors too out there, by the way. Men out there. You, you want to make sure everything's lined up according to scripture. Your life is a living testimony. Once that has been done. I also want you to turn around and I want you to look for every opportunity to tell people the hope and the truth that you have. Because remember, truth is in high demand. I want you to tell them about the truth of Jesus Christ. I want you to tell them that they don't need to worry about the earthquake or the famine. Yes, people are going to die. But if they're believers, they're going to die and be with Jesus. Our children, our loved ones, There is hope for the believer in Christ. If you are prepared and you are ready, then whatever's thrown at your way, you understand these are just checkpoints, just like running a race. There's times on a race when you're running and there's cups of water. And what do you do? You take a cup of water as a refreshment. This is a time of refreshing. That's what the body of Christ needs to be doing, not fretting but taking every opportunity to redeem the time, as Scripture says, to occupy and to make sure that we're giving everybody the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Will you please pray with me that we, we can do this with the Spirit of God in us? We, we may need to pray this morning for a fresh filling to do that for all of us in our communities, wherever we live. We need a fresh filling because we can do nothing good of our own. But God has ordained a time like this he has put us together under the word of God for a time like this. He has created many members in the body for a time like this. That we are ambassadors of a truth that the media can never give. That there is only one place to find and that is through the man Christ Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Father, Lord, we need a fresh filling from you, Lord. We need your anointing to be, anoint your word into us, Lord. Breathe anew into our lungs, Lord, we pray. Breathe anew into us, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit anew. Baptize us anew. Lord God, I pray, 
Just ordain us for this time that we're living, that we will be your hands and feet, many members in unity and harmony, to reach a lost and dying world, no longer uh, divided by race or nationality or gender or any of that, Lord. These are all the divisions and just uh, distractions. Lord, may you give us a focus, if it's our neighborhood, if it's our community, if it's our workplace. Lord, even if it means we lose jobs, even if it means, Lord, we lose houses, if we, we lose our freedoms, all of it, Lord, it will all be worth it to reach people with the gospel. Lord, certainly we pray protection on our houses, on our families, and our loved ones. Certainly, we, we pray, Lord, that you'll never allow a, a, government, a government, you know, government to be so dominant to force people into a, a particular health care or a, a shot or anything like that. God, we ask for your favor in those things. And if not, God, we, we ask you to prepare us to defend our families if that's forced upon us, if we decide to say no. Lord, prepare us for this, this new world order that's happening. That God, before, as we're in this period of still the church age, before the Meatauto, Lord, after these things in Revelation chapter 4, prepare us, God, strengthen us, give us good health, that each and every one of us, Lord, will be effective for your work. And Lord, the thorns, as Paul prayed, we pray, take the thorns. And if not, Lord, and your grace is sufficient, then help us to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, and the call before us. God, I pray that you will bring your bride together for strength, you tell us, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And yet, Lord, you tell us in 1 Peter 2 to obey the authorities, whether it's a governor or a king before us. So, God, we are doing that right now. But, Lord, coming in a time here as they open this county, draw your people together, strengthen your body, that we would go out here, Lord. And even for other Christians that have lost their home, maybe churches have closed because they were focused on the wrong things, Jesus. They had left their first love. While you've birthed the Philadelphia of brotherly love here in this church and sisterly love, I pray, God, you strengthen us for this time. And Lord, we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, that we will be faithful to finish this race strong until you rapture us out, whether that's one hour, one minute, or whether that's 10 years, Lord. May we be faithful till you come. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Fill us anew for your glory and honor. In your name, Jesus, we all pray, God's children. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Call the church. We're here. We open up next week. Every day we'll be here, but we still, pastors have been here. Elder, we are in and out of the church. Call us if you need anything. Call us or email us or, you know, we're here to serve you. Whatever you need. Even if you just need a, to talk to a brother or sister, just you need a word of encouragement. We're here to encourage you. You're not alone. And, and the best is yet ahead. God bless you.